Greg, the nation, the national nightmare is over. Okay, WandaVision has ended. All right, we can we can now go back oh, to our lives. Oh, uh, John, can... I disagree. I feel like my nightmare is just beginning. <laughs> because now we're entering the discourse. Ah, yes, the discourse. I admire. Well, the the last episode is definitively bad. I'll I'll, I'll just give my two cents in there because it's 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 action schlock. So again, like oh no, this is this is a departure like, from every other Marvel movie I've seen. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> It ends on a lame climax with a one-dimensional villain. And, um, like, obviously, I think it set up more people for disappointment, though, because it didn't, like, introduce mutants. It didn't, like, have Patrick Stewart as a cameo or something like that. Like, they didn't do all the kind of ridiculous nonsense that everyone was expecting they would do. So, Well, I thought, um, I, I was afraid. That's already, like, oh, see, they dropped hints for eight hundred other like producers like once again you got your you got your aperitif you got your uh you got your appetizer <laughs> your amuse yeah bouche. yeah you got your amuse bouche don't worry though the entree is coming down the line well that's the like again like that's that's the ultimate uh dichotomy of the marvel films is that they never hit a home run no but they you know they always hit like long line drives and they always get the bases loaded for the next yes. one and the next one's going to be great they're the they're the oakland days of the early 2000s you know they, <laughs> they 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 have all the statistics right they have everything balanced but they have no like stars they have no they, you know they're not zipping dingers or whatever that the term zipping is dingers. I, I was about to say john i'm i'm, I'm marveling at you busting out a, a baseball analogy um Yes, because you were not a, mm-hmm. a huge baseball fan. Um, well, I've I've seen Moneyball, so yeah. you know now I now I pretty much understand the game left. Exactly. Right, so. so this is <laughs> yeah. you made a, a wonderful filmic reference, and this is the filmic mm-hmm. podcast um, starring me, Greg. Hey, I got my name right this time. I'm Greg. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I am John, and, and we're here to adjudicate movies. We we need to film our uh, fill our film bona fides, so we're adjudicating whether movies deserve their classic statuses. Yes, and. Speaking, what's the topic you wanted to bring up again? <laughs> I could write already. It flew out of my head. Oh, I, <laughs> I wanted to officially adjudicate what is the worst streaming service. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, as because yeah. cons- I do think I do think. Oh, sorry. Yeah. And as consumers of film, particularly uh, ones of, uh, th- this has entered the discourse. Um, thanks to a director who doesn't like um, streaming services or ones that his films wind up on because he's one of those uh, devotees to celluloid and the and the theatrical experience, the cinema, as it were, and so. John, I think it's time. It's high time for us to adjudicate what's the worst streaming service. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll be positive too. We'll, 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 you and I are Libras, so we'll balance it out. We'll say we'll first <laughs> decide. <laughs> we'll first adjudicate what's the best streaming service, and then decide on what's the worst. The other reason why I wanted to bring it up this week is because we've been very lately focused on films that you can find on HBO Max because it's new to us. And um, I mean, not you know, new to the world. To. It's almost a year old at this. Not point. new to the world, but it's new to us at <laughs> yeah. least. You know, because as soon as they announced, you know, Godzilla vs Kong was going to be available, I was like, "Yes, please, <laughs> punch that ticket." Thanks, <laughs> thanks, Warner Brothers. Um, <laughs> thanks, Legendary Pictures. I'm sure you had a lot to do with that. Decision. I, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> oh no, John, there was some there was some conflict. I, they had to oh, broker a deal. It was Warner Media who threw the threw the gauntlet down. And Legendary Pictures was like, "Hey, wait a minute. Um, Excuse yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, uh, right now I." I am spending probably the most amount of my time on Disney Plus because I do think that they have a very good back catalog that is maybe a little too on the kids' side, but well, it's a very diverse um, library because of all the yeah. Disney properties. A, not just having 20th Century Fox's films and television, mm-hmm. but also Nat Geo, um, a few other things. So it's yes, it's a wide array, leaning towards something that's a little bit more kid-friendly, not a lot of adult stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Exactly. Yeah. And also why the, you know, they've become the new official babysitter for poor parents <laughs> yes. who have their kids stuck at home. So yeah. <laughs> all for a reasonable price. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love the fact that they reached their uh, two year uh, subscriber numbers in nine months. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like good for them, I guess. <laughs> yeah. John, are you watching the stock options? Are you watching the TCAs or something like? <laughs> oh, yeah, well, Greg, ever since the GameStop situation, you know me, I've turned into a stock shark. Look at yeah. me. <laughs> I'm a genius. I know. I could see you on Robin slicking, Hood. I'm slicking back my hair. I'm Gordon Gecko. <laughs> yeah. Shit. Look out. One download of Robin Hood, and then look what happens. <laughs> what 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 streaming service have you been spending? I'm, most well, time? I'm I loathe to admit this, but um, I oh, I think no. it's the best streaming service based on. It may change because they are curating and taking things. Even even though they have the rights to these films, and they are still arbitrarily limiting their availability, and it's of course the Criterion Channel. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> See, do you are you, like is that honestly true, or are you just trying to sound area no, smart? Like, oh, I'm a subscriber to Mubi. Actually, I think Mubi's fascinating. No, it's it's honestly true, and that's because of something that's, that's near they include something that's near and dear to my heart a, a feature that's long died with um dvds that have filled that are filling landfills at this moment and that's of course special features they have essays ah, they have commentary yes. they have other stuff involved with each of the films that they're pulling out that's why the dvds were so expensive um, when you would get them mm-hmm. retail but like those are still included and it it reminds me of um Another, I do like HBO. They they have little sit down interviews with the creators. Um, that was particular. Disney too is doing. That. Oh, they are like now okay. that Wandavision is done. They just released like the making of documentaries, so you can kind of like go back and see how they did it in COVID, and you know like capturing all the kind of like period specific details. So that'll be interesting to watch. So okay, or at least you know I don't care about Falcon and Winter Soldier. <laughs> Who gives a shit? <laughs> no, They're John. Probably they'll do that introduce this other comic book storyline. Um, oh yeah. no. <laughs> watch out another round another waiters are coming out of the kitchen with another round of hors d'oeuvres you better laugh it up because you don't know when dinner's coming <laughs> who what meta cameo can they include in that show though like there's nothing oh, there's no uh, well, like, mystery I'm box sure, no it's going to be Chris Evans it's going to be something that yeah because oh, no character right, actually point, yeah. dies or like leaves, leaves us um, no, and nobody point, can turn yeah. down those paychecks uh, <laughs> that's absolutely not all right, Greg. All right. What is the worst streaming service? Worst streaming service at this point, because to me the answer is obvious. I but okay. You, well, yeah, okay. Let's it. let's do a one, two, three, and and okay. say our answer. All okay. Right. Three, right. two, one. Okay. Two. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I told you one, two, three, and then I started to go backwards. <laughs> Just because. Okay. Because I'm an American. God damn it. All right. Let's starting at one. All right. All right starting at one. <laughs> one. one. Two, two, three. Three. Amazon Prime. Netflix. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. Here's why Amazon Prime is the worst. It's simple. Okay. It's bundled with a service that people are already going to buy, the two-day shipping. And so mm. because of that, and if you spend any longer than 60 seconds on Amazon Prime, you can appreciate what garbage they have on there. <laughs> because a lot of the stuff they have on there is like stuff that was made kind of directly for the internet, like web series, or just like, you know, Batman fan films. It is like complete garbage on there. (laughs) If you spend long, if you scroll past the first 10 options, it is just like, you will see some B-grade schlock that was made in like 2008 for like four bucks and has like two stars on IMDb. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I see what you're, so they're casting a wide net and just gobbling up whatever content they can have. And again, yeah. And there's, and there's, again, there's no incentive to have like exclusives on Amazon. Cause again, it's already bundled with 
a service you're already going to pay for. Mm. So it's like as opposed to all these other services that kind of stand on yeah. their own merits. In addition to just being part of an evil corporation, or at least more outwardly evil than the other corporations running streaming there services. You go. Yes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so there is that. I I'll tell you why net why Netflix is my pick, and that's because they. If we're going to go with the baseball analogy, they're like the Phillies right now. They have like one bright shining star in Bryce Harper, mm-hmm. and that's kind of like what Netflix is to me, in that they have like these shining stars like um, that that rise above the fray, like the Queen's Gambit or a TV show called or- Unorthodox, like very good. But the bench mm-hmm. is so depleted; it's mm-hmm. it, there's nothing else to it. Like we watch Great British Bake Off, and then hey, here's some other like British reality shows or whatever, and they're all terrible. They're all wretched. <laughs> so like it. Like, it makes me wonder where my $15 is going to. Like, at least with the Amazon Prime, if we're going to go with that, like, bundling service, at least with that, you're also getting the two-day shipping. With Netflix, I'm getting, like, the the one show, like, at at this point, maybe four programs a year that I actually enjoy, and... Yeah, and yeah, that's not worth. The... And again, like the price, you can't argue the price because yeah. you've got Hulu and Disney, which offer better selections, like better quality programming. Same with the Criterion um, Channel, yeah. which yeah, I think exactly. is the most expensive yeah. out of all these, or at least like up there. How much is it? I think it's 15? I think it's up to seventy or eighty a year. It's not a monthly. Yeah, oh. maybe you can do month to month. Oh, I don't. Okay. It's not as. I just do the yearly subscription because there's more value to it, but. Got yeah, it. I mean, okay. yeah, we're talking about a deep, a deep roster of content to to stretch your dollar. Um, whereas, mm-hmm. yeah, Netflix, I I feel like that's getting stretched thinner and thinner. Granted, because they were the only game in town at one point, and now they're and now they're getting their back. Uh, the other ones are nipping at their heels and kind of stretching them thinner and thinner. So, yeah. Ugh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe Netflix isn't even relevant in the conversation in another two years. I, honestly, well, oh, not two years, John. Come on, give him give him a break. <laughs> I, I'd give it ten, and instead we're talking about they're, they're talked about in the same breath that say Paramount Pictures is talked about now. Like, what the heck are they doing? Because at least the other studios have big tentpole franchises, whereas Paramount has about Transformers. <laughs> basically, excuse me. Paramount is known for their franchises, Greg. Okay, when Par- when they took over Cedar Point and became like Paramount Parks, they had rides based on Face Off. They had <laughs> rides based on Top Gun. Fabulous movies that everyone talks about to this yes. day, like that they love. Tomb yeah. Raider. So, yeah. a Tomb Raider, the Tomb Raider ride. Yeah. Come on, everyone loved it. Yes, thank you, John. Um, Recreating the magic of Disney. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We'll see how Paramount Plus goes. I think that's yeah. They're also the last in the game, so way to go, guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I've been interested in Discovery Plus because I, you know, I need like House Hunters in the background of my house all the time, yeah. so I might end up signing up for that. And, and when are you going to watch Mythbusters outside of those like holiday marathons? <laughs> that also a good point. Yeah. Also a great point. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Our Grant Imahara. I R I P. Yes. Uh, rest in oh. peace, Grant Imahara. Um. You and I are big, yes. Admittedly, you and I are big <laughs> Mythbusters fans. Could, could you tell that we're nerds? <laughs> we like the science show where they build robots. Well, John, we're not just nerds. Uh, we're not just cinema snobs, or at least aspiring to be. We're also um, consumer advocates, and I feel like we give some mm. great consumer ad- advocacy there um, in talking about streaming ter- services. Um, let's keep that uh, that hat on, though, because um, we're going to yes. talk about um, a, another rarity for us, and that's a family film. 
And I think the way we approach it is, um, you know, you and I aren't fathers yet, or you know, but I think we'd like to be. You know, we'd like to theoretically be dads at one point and tell people what to do and, and steer their life choices. So um, let's do that again when we talk about this particular film, uh, which is art, um, but also is a product, a, a, a family film. And uh, of course, what we're talking about, not of course, but what we're talking about this week is uh, another revisit into the uh, acclaimed work of one Hayao Miyazaki. And of course, we're talking, and we're, we're talking about My Neighbor Totoro. So, hey-ho, let's go. <laughs> yes, nothing but chill vibes on this podcast. Yeah. Let's just put on some lo-fi beats that we can just chill. Yeah, because this movie is nothing but chill vibes. <laughs> well, that's that's my first question to you, because mm-hmm. this is our second uh, foray into the world of Hayao Miyazaki, um, the first being Princess Monovoke, a grand epic, two hours, and <laughs> yes, you know, epic battles, war. and war, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, dealing with big themes, man versus nature, or whatever, and then we have, oh, my neighbor Totoro, oh, he's cute, let's go, let's hug him, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, like, let's go exploring into the woods, yeah. hey, <laughs> there's stuff here, <laughs> yeah, so, I, I, in a study of contrast, which which do you prefer? Where do you come down on? Do you prefer the the quieter vision of my neighbor Totoro, or the big grand sweeping epic of say A Spirited Away or uh, uh, Princess Mononoke? I mean, it really depends on my mood, but I think more often than not, I am more interested in a Princess Mononoke than a My Neighbor Totoro. Okay. Because, and I think the other thing too is we live in an age where we bi- we are a bit spoiled for choice. And I do think we've come to expect, probably thanks to Pixar, our uh, even our family viewing is just a little more challenging and maybe a little weightier. And this movie kind of touches on those themes, but doesn't really explore them as dramatically as it probably could have, or at least doesn't go too dark. So, I mean, this is very, very life Wait, fair. It, like, it's very, Wanda, very cute. Unlike WandaVision, John, it's not an exploration of grief and loss. <laughs> Greg, look, Avengers Infinity War was about dealing with loss. Yeah. Avengers Endgame was about dealing with loss. Yeah. <laughs> WandaVision's about dealing with loss. Captain America's Civil War is about dealing with loss. With loss. Yeah. They're all about lo- dealing with loss. Yeah. <laughs> It's almost as an easy. It's almost as if it's an easy way to explore drama. But um, there you go. Yes. <laughs> but no, this is not a story about loss. This is about uh, two very energetic young girls, um, set in I think um, either the late forties, like uh, or nineteen fifties, like post-war Japan. It's out in the mm-hmm. country, and uh, they're moving with their dad out to a farmhouse. And, you know, th- again, they're very energetic. They're very positive in light of this. Um, they have an eternally patient father, and um, <laughs> the town is also very genial and very helpful to them as well. Mm-hmm. The Actually, the, the titular character, Totoro, yeah. doesn't actually, like, probably appear till the first third. Um, they kind of spend the first third, like, exploring the house, going on these little, like, misadventures and discovering that there is something supernatural happening around yeah. them. And what's interesting is, and this is kind of, I don't know if you're familiar with a Netflix show called Hilda, uh, one of the weird things is it's like, it seems like the kids 
are more attuned to experiencing the supernatural, but it's not as if the adults are like completely unaware or like dismissive of it out of hand. Like, oh, geez, kids are stupid. They don't like, what are you talking about? There's no ghosts in this fucking house. <laughs> it's like, instead they just kind of like play along and they're like, oh yeah, there's sure there's trolls out there. You got to be careful, you know? And it's, it's kind of nice to kind of see that, to see like, parents fo- or you know the adults in their lives like kind of fostering their imagination and being like hey the world the world's gonna tear you down one day but it's not gonna be this day <laughs> yeah so we're yeah we're we're towing this line here um so far like again it's as if we're set in the real world it's it's granted it's the past but they, they move into this home and they first encounter these little dust mites that are scurrying around the house and it's and it seems as though their father and this woman, this genial old woman they meet, named um, who's, you know, allows them to call her Granny. She's basically this grandmotherly figure. Like play along and like yes, those are like dust mites or something like that. And we see like the young girl's hands are covered in soot. Um, so like we're kind of towing this line. Like is this actually real or is this not? And so again, it's the movie's not called. We move to a new house and mom is sick, <laughs> even though that's that's what happens in the first act. Um, it's called yeah. My Neighbor Totoro. And when we actually do meet Totoro, it's intimated that this is all taking place in the youngest daughter's head. She's four years old. Her name is May, and. For, at least for the first three encounters with Totoro, she's like asleep or something. That's the implication. So maybe this is a dream, like when she, when she encounters this fantastical creature, this um, forest. He's not a forest nymph. He's a, I guess a, I forget what they called he's him. A, in, he's a, he's a giant bunny rabbit. Yeah, he's a, he's a bunny rabbit cat thing. You know, yeah. he's enormous. He could eat them at any moment. Yet, <laughs> yeah, and he yells. They're so loud. Everyone's so loud. <laughs> I was going to ask if you watched the the Japanese the original Japanese recording or the uh, or the English version. I am a Philistine, so I obviously watched the English. Version. Okay. <laughs> yes, I I think I suspect it's slightly quieter. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, like I always say, I don't watch cartoons to read, so I'm not. <laughs> I'm gonna watch the dub guys. <laughs> And also, I think not. Just, not only that, I think it's the original, like nineteen nineteen eighty eight of uh, subtitles. Like when we watched it, mm. so it wasn't exactly here. It was at the very bottom of the frame in this yellow serif font. It wasn't. It wasn't very readable. But anyway, again, yeah, this is more consumer. This is more consumer reporting for you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Your mileage may vary. Yes. I mean, come on! It's Totoro. It's, it's <laughs> folks. We're talking about Totoro. I I don't want to compare him to call him basically Japan's Mickey Mouse because I, f- I feel that diminishes both of them. Um, well, no, and obviously that's Hello Kitty. Yeah. That's Hello Kitty is the is the you know reigning mascot of Japan. Yeah, um, but this is but Totoro is now the mascot of Studio Ghibli. Um, 
because he basically resolves everything. Uh, <laughs> uh, initially, May seems like lost. She's 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 not old enough to go to school, and Dad's a university professor and doing work around the house. So she goes off and doing work. It looks like he's doing Sudoku. Yes, <laughs> he's just like writing in little squares. Like, come on. <laughs> I know the world. The world is uh, su- all the world is subject to bullshit jobs, but <laughs> <laughs> including including university professor teaching my kids liberal values. <laughs> Get out of here! <laughs> there you go. Yes. <laughs> Get out of here. Anyway, um, but initially, t- even though she seems like she's digging into trees or whatever, like she comes out fine, and she's like lost mm-hmm. for I don't know, like five minutes. Um, the same like when it, when we come by later. Um, they're waiting for their dad at the bus stop. The sun's gone down. He's way late because uh, we eventually learn that a train was late and his bus was arrived uh, again well after dark. So these two poor kids are sitting there out in the rain, and that's when not not the highest stakes, but yeah. yes, like it is. It is kind of a bummer that they have to sit in the cold rain yeah. for that long until Totoro stops by, uh, and a cat bus shows up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're setting up for the third act there, guys. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yes, we're dropping hints. I, Well, I guess this is the other thing we should talk about is um, usually we break down story and talk about it as if it's an intellectual exercise. However, this is, this is a family film. So, like, story and whether the internal logic of, like, oh, is this a dream world? That doesn't matter. Um, mm-hmm. But one thing I do admire about this film is it does feel, like, of a piece. Like, I know Studio Ghibli, like, they, they make up... They have these great ideas for fantastical creatures or settings or characters, uh, and then, like, the story kind of falls in place from there or something. Or it's, like, mm-hmm. secondhand to, say, what tremendous animations and painted painted backgrounds we can do. Like, here, yes. it feels more like a piece. Like, as you said, like, we see the cat bus, and uh, granted, we don't know why it's there and the, why it comes out in the middle of the story, but it will come back later and resolve resolve conflict it resolves conflict in the climax. Um, I was mm-hmm. wondering how, how you felt about that because, yeah, again... One of the reasons I don't like movies like, or at least didn't appreciate movies like Princess Mononoke or Spirited Away enough, because again, they, it the story just is willy nilly and like they make it up as they go as it goes along, and it doesn't emotionally invest me in the same way a traditional one does. I do feel like though that this movie needed a bit higher stakes because the big kind of overarching problem is the fact that the mom is ill. Yes. But she's not so ill that the kids can't visit them, and they're excited about the possibility of mom coming to visit, which obviously doesn't come to pass, which kind of sets it up for the third act, where the younger the younger daughter gets lost again, mm-hmm. you know, trying to find T- Totoro to, like, help her out. Um, and so I do kind of wish that there was just, like, a little bit more conflict and just, like, stuff, you know, like, the more possibility of, like, driving the story. Like you said, like, you know, dad's late, dad's bus is like late like what happens if he doesn't show up yeah. like that that's you know something that could be rung for a lot of dramatic tension but instead it's just kind of dissolved instantly it's <laughs> like yeah my train was late oh can you believe it <laughs> yeah and it's kind of the same problem with the mother where it's like the mother is sick and we're not 100 percent privy to what is wrong with her but it's like when we hear like you know she's not coming to visit you know the kids expect the worst they're like that's what they told us last time she's really ill and you know there's a possibility that she could die you know far away and the kids wouldn't know about it and like that's really scary and like i wish it's you know and it 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 sits enough time there but it also again feels like it's resolved too con- like too quickly where it's like oh yeah i was fine yeah. <laughs> everything was fine <laughs> 
I and Totoro took us on a magical adventure. Yes, <laughs> I I didn't mind that because of of what the film's setting out to be, and it is setting out I feel to be a family movie, and so the mm-hmm. stakes aren't pitched. The stakes aren't pitched to ten thousand percent. It's not life and death. I mean, let's compare it. We compared it to other Studio Ghibli films. Let's compare it to another animated film from Japan that came out the exact same year. Um, similar setup with an older sibling and a younger sibling, The Grave of the Fireflies. <laughs> um, mm. That is that is the kind of movie where it's pitched to 10,000% and the tragedy is oh, yes. like, you know, designed to cut you like a knife. Like that. Mm. And uh, that movie that movie physically hurts. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because the intention of that movie is to, to basically portray this anti-war message in as strong as possible terms. Whereas this mm. one is, I, I appreciate that its intentions aren't to say raise the stakes so much and you know again make it a great tragedy like when i saw like um oh mom has a cold like they they basically tell the kids oh mom has a cold she's not going to be able to come home and um Mm -hmm. may's older sister basically that's what they told us when she first went to the hospital like this is serious and i and i was waiting i was checking my watch like okay mom's gonna die and it's gonna be one of those (laughs) stories that again cuts cuts deep like a a movie like manchester by the sea like you know we have to talk about the grandest possible tragedies or something but um again it it zags there it doesn't it doesn't play in those terms and um and I think it could have, because there is a scene later, uh, May is upset. Both the kids are upset, obviously. They think mom's going to die. Um, so yeah. she, she, runs off to the, she runs off to the hospital and gets lost in this very rural area. And um, they find a, a young girl's sandal, and they suspect that it's hers. Um, her older sister, which I thought it was, because they set up an establishing shot showing her putting her on her shoes. And I was like, oh, that's a weird insert. And obviously, it, oh, it's going to come back later, yes. you know. And I thought it was her shoe, and then she says it's not, and I was confused. Well, here's 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 my suspicion, having seen this movie okay. multiple times. Again, it looks almost identical to her shoe. I think it. I think it is. Um, mm-hmm. Her older sister Satsuke like looks at it. She like falls to her knees, and but the dialogue says no. So I think they drew it originally. As as though that May was going to either like drown in an accident or like perish when she's because she she's a little girl and like so that maybe that was the original intention and they were like no we can't have this in our fanciful movie with Totoro in it <laughs> mm. so that, maybe that's how they drew it but then they overdid it in dialogue or something because because from her her older sister looks devastated. Everybody, all the townspeople that have gathered look devastated, but all the dialogue, all the all the recording over it says like, well, you know, then where is she then? Like, you know, and then they kind of <laughs> yeah. move on, even though, even though the intonation and the body language that they drew up doesn't really reflect that. So I think this movie could have been a whole lot darker um, in terms mm-hmm. of like having. Yeah, it could have been a bridge to Terabithia moment, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. where it's like, you know, all the the, the fantasy can't last forever, kids. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Oh, my God.
but like you're right like maybe that's not the intention of the story because i do think that the intention of the story is just to genteelly capture that spirit of being a young child again and i think it does that quite well like the kids are very well realized you know even though there's not like a huge kind of like story or arc they go to go through they are you know for all intents and purposes really like very sweet good kids Mm -hmm. and even when things get rough they're mean to each other and they're bad (laughs) you know it's like (laughs) it like it it does kind of capture that spirit of being a kid who's just you know exploring the woods and just being rambunctious and loud and annoying and just let your dad do his work (laughs) damn it (laughs) yeah so i again i'm glad and it feels like something that's appropriate for family viewing um Mm -hmm. now whether it holds the attention of your children i'm not so sure because mm. uh, as you said in the opening minutes is very placid and very quiet there's not a whole lot of music and there's only one sequence that uh, it seems reminiscent of looney tunes it's when she chases after these little these little cherubs that beca- that are like totoro's sidekicks um Mm-hmm. That feels a little Looney Tunes because she's like looking, she sees them enter this tunnel and looks down at them for the longest time. And on the other side of the frame, they sneak behind her or something like, you know, mm-hmm. it's Looney Tunes stuff. But that's the only that's the only scene with a whole lot of energy behind it um, until until the very end when the cat bus comes out and saves the day. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And I mean, you're complaining about the music, but it's only because they had, you know, probably the second greatest theme song of all, any movie Absolutely. ever. Totoro, Totoro. <laughs> exactly. I, that's why I'm wondering, like, how cynically they knew they had a, 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 a merchandising bonanza, both with the, the. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Like, and again, this movie doesn't feel very cynical. Again, it's trying to go for genuine emotion but mm-hmm. at the same time it's like it's a kids movie kids love stuffed animals <laughs> gotta put it gotta put a physical stuffed animal in that you know in our scenes so uh yeah i don't know yeah it's 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 a weird movie to talk about because <laughs> there's like on the one hand it doesn't feel like there's a lot there but also it's not you know it's it, it's well done so um i don't really know how i feel about i disagree it, no it's it's a hard movie for us to talk about because you and oh. i are cynical and like to pick apart things and this mm-hmm. movie i think what its achievement is is making something that is genuinely a not very intellectual like b mm-hmm. achieves what it sets out to do in terms of like portraying the lives of these kids and like again accomplishes like just having a a fun family oriented story and not you know so when you and i are trying to be cynical and wondering like oh what are their true intentions are or like you know (laughs) playing script doctor like oh why why didn't they have drama that cuts like a knife or something yes Where are the definitive act breaks? Yes. At 20 minutes, they're still looking for the soot sprites. Yeah. I wanted, I wanted them to start the inciting incident. I was wondering what I wanted Totoro to be a badass. Yeah. You know, a man with no name <laughs> should have been Clint Eastwood. Yeah. We're like 30 minutes in, and I'm wondering when are we going to get to the Toto Factory? Um, the to- <laughs> there you go, Totoro Factory. And it turns and, out that the to- there are many Totoro factories um, producing uh, plushies and huggable pillows um, all over Japan and Asia. <laughs> yes, but also remember, guys, the neighbor Totoro is the friends we made along the way. Yes. Okay. So, yes. Okay, Granny, Kata. I want to see what goes on between them. Um, no, Kata's the worst. <laughs> I hate Kata. Him and his stupid hats. You're not a mailman. You're not a captain. What are you doing? Get a personality. Stop wearing a stupid hat. <laughs> Again, A-plus a job in actually portraying kids. I totally believed him as somebody who was afraid of girls. <laughs> there you go. I related to Yes, that. I related to that. 
<laughs> and also telling truths, um, uh, making a bad first impression by telling uh, Satsuki that her house is haunted. I mean, li- any lies detected there? I mean, there were little sprites <laughs> floating out of it, so <laughs> there you go. Yep. I love the fact that the kids get to the house, and their first instinct is to immediately try to destroy something. Yes. They're like <laughs> trying to knock down the pergola. <laughs> They're like, it's Friday! <laughs> I mean, in many ways, this is a horror movie because A, it's about a family, you know, going to a rural country to a haunted house. Or B, you know, it's like the other situation where it's like these poor spirits are minding their own business and then these little hellions, these hellspawn, just come in and ruin their shit. Mm -hmm. And the specter of death just hangs over it with mom and the over everything. Yeah. Yep. I want to see a live-action version directed by uh, the person behind uh, Midsommar. That's what I want. Ari Aster, yeah. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Sorry, since we saw this on HBO Plus, that that being the impetus for us talking about it, because now you and I can see it mm-hmm. outside of a, a limited edition DVD uh, <laughs> or a Fathom event at an AMC theater. Yeah, <laughs> I want to see more version, more director cuts by Zack Snyder on beloved Warner Media properties. <laughs> so let's see the Snyder cut of My Neighbor Totoro. Let's see there you go. the Snyder cut of Tom and Jerry. Let's see the Snyder cut in my version, Tom and fucking wrecks Jerry's yeah. shit, breaks all his bones, because it's badass. Yeah. And hallelujah, pay it plays in the background. serious my, my like i put on the the um trailer for the snyder cut yeah like the black and white version and the whole time i'm like is this a joke this has to be a joke. no it is no it, it genuinely is a joke to then after your big title reveal <laughs> you know Zack snyder's justice league or whatever they literally have the joker say we live in a society that is a joke no. it's a j- yes like they have to oh my god but i don't know who's it on is it on us well, obviously not us, because we don't give a damn about DC or Marvel movies that much. Um, mm-hmm. Is it on Word of Media executives who poured probably, gosh, another $50 million into this boondoggle? And that's the thing. It's like they started it when they needed content because their subscriber numbers were not good. Yeah. But now they are pretty good because, again, they're just taking all their 2020 releases and just putting them out on HBO Max anyway. So it's like you're already screwed because you already put, you know, your money into this lemon in this shalapi <laughs> twice now. Twice. Because yeah. the first one did not do well. No. <laughs> not Avengers again, well, which is what they wanted, obviously. Yeah. yeah. And I coworker was like excited for it and I'm like, uh, I've got bad news. Have you seen Batman v Superman? <laughs> it's just gonna be that again. <laughs> and it, hey, Ugh. did he what what did he or she say? Yes, like I did enjoy it. Um <laughs> 
<laughs> I no, I don't think they did, and so I don't know why they're excited for. I guess just curiosity, maybe. I, maybe, yeah. Uh, maybe they love the memes. Maybe they love <laughs> the Joker saying yeah, we live in a society. <laughs> yep. And you know they were trying to explain how the Joker fits in. It's like, oh, it's another dream sequence. Oh, awesome! Yeah, Joker, we need more of <laughs> yeah. dark Batman dream sequences. <laughs> Those were the best part of Batman v Superman. Awesome. Hey, listen, HBO Max is literally making dreams come true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it here. I hate it. Yeah. Not Christopher Nolan's dreams. It's it's the stuff of nightmares for him. Um, but <laughs> yes. Anyway. Well, who's who do you think who do you think is is more hurt, Christopher Nolan or Martin Scorsese, watching Zack Snyder's Justice League? Uh, but, uh, uh, who's more hurt? Well, I, no, I think they're both uh, incur- they're both encouraged by it and encouraging such behavior um, because they oh because you're right yes because this is auteur yeah. driven cinema yeah. again okay yeah you're right Good again auteur driven cinema the studio is uh, backs them one thousand percent so. Um, one thousand percent being the profit uh, loss margin. Ooh. Yeah, Ooh. <laughs> they didn't back Patty Jenkins enough. I, if it were up to her, Max Powers would have, you know, had three Dreamstones. I don't I, know. <laughs> I don't know. What the I disagree. Intention. I feel like they no. I feel like they gave her enough. Uh, I gave her enough, enough rope to hang herself. Yeah. <laughs> no, I wasn't gonna make that analogy. Anyway, okay. anyway, John, speaking of living in a society, um, yes. let's look at some films that explore our contemporary American society um, in our signature section, Spotlight. 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 We live in a society. Ah, just still, nothing but chill vibes over here. Yeah. Maybe I'll do a lo-fi, you know, Spotlight. Instead of shouting, it's like, <laughs> hey, Spotlight. Some, let's let's read and study to these lo-fi beats. Yeah. I feel like you could read and study to um, a spotlight that you and I have, because um, that's an awards front-runner. Because mm. it, it's a little lo-fi. It's a little... Um, it's not big and bombastic. It's more quiet and personal. Um, yeah. John, do you... This ain't your Marvel movie, folks. No. Um, even though the director's going on to work on a Marvel movie next. Um, <laughs> they obviously... Wait, what is she doing? She's doing the Eternals movie. Um, the one that oh. the one that ruined Kamel Nanjiani's body and face. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> hey man, he wanted to get that ripped. Okay, <laughs> yeah, John, who doesn't? Um, but it, I don't know how old Kamel Nanjiani is, but I will uh, relate. Oh, to he's forty. He's forty. He's okay. 40. All right, yeah. then. Then he's another classic case of this uh, adage in the film in the or excuse me in the fitness industry. Um, after the age of thirty-five, you can keep your face looking young or your ass looking young, but not both. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> yeah. You know me. It's all about the ass. Yeah. I'm an ass man. <laughs> Um, good, because the face, uh, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. Let's move, let's move. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Any hoops. Yes, we're talking about Nomadland, a movie that is a uh, front runner for a lot of awards because mostly because nothing came out last <laughs> yes. year. So, and also this is a capital I important movie about capital I important issues. Yes. The issues at hand are, this is based on a nonfiction book about a, uh, let's say a coterie. I guess it's, it's a bitty, it's a pretty disparate group of um, people, older Americans, not quite old enough to retire, uh, might have had their life savings wiped out in the 2008 financial crash. And so they're mm-hmm. they're taken to the road and live kind of a nomadic life, moving on to seasonal jobs. And they find kind of community among one another. And so um, what Chloe Zhao, the director, has done is taken uh, 
uh, this movie stars uh, Francis McDormand and done somewhat of a fictionalized version of that story. So we do see a kind of A to B story, like her journey between these seasonal jobs, um, some people, some people she encounters along the way. Um, however, what she does encounter is true to life. Like the jobs she works, some of the people she meets, like they're not actors. So it's kind of blending this fiction and nonfiction. Again, as you said, a, a capital I important. Um, important issue because um, it involves white people. <laughs> yes, <laughs> white people who have been economically dislocated. Yeah, oh, it's it's really about the economics, folks. They're not racist. Yeah. It's because they have economic anxiety. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, before I, I before I get to my overall opinion, I will I will make that complaint. I I do have somewhat uh, a moral qualm about making this a quasi nonfiction film or documentary film. Because yeah. at some point I feel like the people are being manipulated. I I don't like I don't like reviews saying like oh these are these Hollywood elites you know parachuting down to real people like a, like Frances McDormand did genuinely sleep in a van. Also, B she's not a Hollywood megastar. It's not like you know I don't know if she <sighs> oh, lives. Please. I don't know if she lives. Glamour queen Frances McDormand. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, Hollywood royalty, Francis. Who's she married to? Oh, hotshot director Ethan Coen. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Them and their golden statues in their in their in their high perched Malibu homes. Yes, alongside alongside American heartthrob uh, David Strathairn on the cover of of us on the cover of every Us Weekly. <laughs> So no, I think there is a fair argument to be made like that, which this does feel like kind of like misery tourism. It's like we're gonna slum it for three months. I'm gonna be living in a van, but then I get to go home to my mansion in Malibu. <laughs> Fun having that experience. Bye, guys. <laughs> well, yeah, and so I I bristle when they did encounter like so they they do these kind of they're not quite talking heads. It's all framed mm-hmm. as if it's a conversation, but people are yeah relaying real tragedies that happen in their life. There's a key figure named Bob who genuinely like organizes this group of nomads of elderly folks who like are either too young to retire or don't have the savings for a conventional retirement. So like he, he kind of organizes, offers like free meals, um, tips for like how to survive on the road, like with changing tires yep. and having supplies and things like that. Like he relays a, a tragic story that's true. And he did it under the pretense, not knowing who Francis McDormand was. So I was like wondering, is that, is that emotionally manipulative of him or does that, you know, scar him in a way to have to do this and then have it like be portrayed for uh, at a, <laughs> basically uh, money and awards fodder, which he won't win, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like, yeah, what, what, like I, it's important to bring these kind of stories to light, mm-hmm. but how does that kind of alleviate their suffering? It doesn't really do much yeah. besides, you know, kind of, you know, put a spotlight on people who obviously need it. Like this is, I do feel like this is a story that, you know, needed to be told. Yeah. However, why did it have to be a narrative film? And in the spirit of talking about, you know, WandaVision, we're talking about unpacking trauma. Yeah. I had to unpack my trauma watching this movie. Okay. Because I was traumatized by a movie called Bubble. And <laughs> Bubble is no, a garbage film featuring amateur actors in a go-nowhere story. Well, well, it does find its story in the third act, just like this movie does. But again, we had to spend all that time. As I've, to- I've, I've turned it, puttering around the kitchen, Sean. except there's no real kitchen. There's no real kitchen no, in this movie. Campsite. She said she's puttering around the campsite. <laughs> You're right. Yes. <laughs> and I do, I feel like this movie would have been better served as a nonfiction 
documentary film instead of trying to do this kind of half and half like real stories but presented like it's you know a narrative film because it rings hollow to me to have you know this elite megastar francis McDormand (laughs) (laughs) listening to these people talk and like it's you know i know it's true but again like the way they framed it it seems false because it feels more like an interview than just two people talking or at least that's the vibe I was getting as I was watching these scenes kind of like play out. Well, John, here, we have a problem here in that yes. and maybe the, the vibe and the wiring that you're thinking because you appear to be a human being. Um, <laughs> but the problem is I, I, upon closer examination, you are an android and you have no feelings. And so that is why... Cease all motor functions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that is why it's a narrative film, because overall, despite my complaint earlier, overall, it's an incredibly effective and emotional film. Like, it works mm. wonderfully in terms of, like, dropping, yes, Hollywood megastar Francis McDormand into this world. <laughs> but between just the evocative scenery, the Ludi, uh, Ludico and Roki, I don't know who the famous composer is or whatever, um, mm. he just... He just they um, dropped in some of his music. Between that and, you know, cinematography, the American West, and I think her performance, her being basically the center of gravity for this whole thing, it works. And so, like, again, the film the film is a narrative film because I feel like with a documentary, you may not find those emotional beats, or you may not be served by having this one point of contact um, who can't who can't ignore, say, the camera or something. Like I, I feel like that's the other thing. The reason this can't be a documentary is because you can't ignore that. Like, hey, there's a camera crew following us or something. Whereas here, like it, I completely bought into the illusion that this was like the true story of Fern and Dave. Um, you know, taking on these seasonal jobs and you know, kind of like ships passing in the night um, versus wanting yeah. like, or you know, wanting an emotional connection. That's in that like that's why it's a huge like thumbs up for me um, because it did hit hit all the it hit me in the that emotional core. No, I appreciated the scenes that involved her and Dave because again mm-hmm. there is like kind of a story there and there is a like a tension there because you know obviously he likes her and they you know want to kindle something but mm-hmm. she's out she's a widow so you know she's kind of and she's closed off and like the scenes with the families I thought were brilliant and I'm like why wasn't this the whole movie because instead we spend all this time like you know concerning ourselves with the in and outs of washing the bathroom and you know going pee on the side of the road and I'm like I'm glad we had those kind of moments and it didn't shy away from them however it just kind of took up too much of the real estate of the movie i wanted it to be more of that kind of story driven emotional stuff in the family of why she is closed off and why she needs to be like you know like her sister diagnosis like you had to get out of the house as soon as you could like you're just that free spirit you Mm -hmm. couldn't help like why couldn't we spend more time examining that (laughs) i wanted more of that please well that yeah i think that's my other issue of the movies that there are no like, yes, the movie hits all, all those emotional beats, but like My Neighbor Toad Row, it doesn't cut deep. I don't think it wants to mm. get into people's demons um, because there, there's a close-up shot. She's at the, she's at her sister's place. Her van is broken down, and she like basically comes comes back to her sister begging for money so that she can continue her life on the road, despite everybody's yeah. objections. Like nobody understands her. Also, like why exactly. like why are you doing this? Um, Mm-hmm. And and there there is one close up shot where she pours like a heavy a heavy hit of gin into her drink and I thought like oh alcoholism maybe like you know something is is there something more to this rather than her just bristling at like domestic life and not really and feeling like trapped like because you also see in a lot of like social interactions like she it's something about her that may be a bit off or a bit like uh, 
again, she's like a cactus, basically. She's got thorns and <laughs> with every like um yeah. with every like person and kind of situation that she's in a little bit. Like she can mm-hmm. be a little bit prickly. But we never really get into those demons. Like in the same way we never really get into the politics of it. I know some people are also objecting that Amazon is portrayed as just like say a regular job and not maybe as they as yeah. they want it to be either, like you know the the um harbinger of uh, late capitalism and the, and just the yes. worst the worst kind of regional job you can have like granted that that could be true but I know for other people it is like a good form of seasonal employment and and I don't know like I I guess we could play with the fact that um she's forced to live on the road because they closed down her company town, which is literally called empire. And so you could make a, maybe a stronger statement about um, the crumbling state of the American empire at this point in the year 2021. Um, but the movie doesn't really do that. I think uh, as, as good art does, it doesn't, it's not a, it's not a polemic. It's not really um, like leading you to one conclusion. It's allowing you space to kind of find your own. No, or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the other thing I appreciate about it is the fact that uh, Chloe Zhao is a Chinese woman, mm-hmm. and so she obviously comes from a very different background than most Americans, so she does have this kind of different take on the American West that I think a lot of uh, like American directors wouldn't do. Like, the vibes I was getting a lot watching this movie was, like, Paris, Texas. Yeah. And even, you know, that way that's filmed, even though it's about, you know, like, the same subject matter where someone's, like, re-entering the family's life after, you know, extraneous circumstances. That one feels a bit more kind of romanticizing the American West, where this one doesn't. Mm -hmm. And it's because she obviously wasn't, you know, raised on the same, you know, diet that we were all fed of, like, ah, yes, manifest destiny. This land was meant to be ours. (laughs) So um, I do appreciate it from that perspective, and I'm I'm glad you know she's she's kind of chosen this as her thesis. Like again, with her other movie, The Rider, is obviously dealing with the same themes yeah. as well. So uh, I do appreciate that, like the fact that she is making this movie. It just didn't hit home for me, obviously, the same way it has for everybody. Like yeah. everyone just slobbering over it. <laughs> These Hollywood elites that just can't help themselves. <laughs> yes, Hollywood elites like me. Um, but it's fine. Again, you you continue. <laughs> You, like Data in Star Trek The Next Generation, will eventually learn our human ways. Um, and you'll learn that Nomadland is a, is a damn fine movie. Uh, Bubble is a brilliant movie. I will not hear any more bubble slander from from your mouth, please, um, before I deactivate you. And um, <laughs> So go check out Nomadland and Bubble. At least... At least to be part of the, I guess, cultural conversation, because this is presumably going to win Best Picture. Um, yeah. If, if for nothing else, it, it's not really facing a lot of competition, is it? <laughs> and look forward to my 13-minute cinema since everything wrong with No yeah. Land. <laughs> or um, your slate piece. Um, but you yes. <laughs> why? Why No Land's bad? Bad actually. Um, <laughs> Is Slate really that contrarian? I don't read Slate. I don't. No, I don't really I, know what. I, I read the New Republic, and there was already uh, a um, a uh, uh, Oscar back. Yeah, an Oscar backlash against it. Um, so oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> Although it was pretty tepid, like like most things in the New Republic, like tepid or like hmm. <laughs> let's, oh, let's excuse use me. Facts and analysis <laughs> to come to a conclusion. <laughs> um, nerds uh excuse me i figured out why this movie's bad with facts and logic (laughs) there was actually a great piece uh if i can do a little mini spotlight uh there was a great piece in current affairs about um oh gosh what was the sorry they covered so many subjects but it was mostly about like D D. okay and just kind of like how they tied it back in with like this idea of like you know 
mythos versus logos. It's like mythos is all well, all the stuff you can't explain. Yeah. Logos is facts and logic, and you know everyone looking at movies like again like Wandavision. It's like yeah, but what does this mean? This has to like fit into the canon somehow. And it's like no, there's an emotional heart to the story about Wanda and her grief, and you know like that should be that should be what people are focusing on. Instead, it's like but what is it teasing for the future of X Men in the Marvel universe? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I think it's. I, th- I also think maybe they talk about this political, in, or excuse me, in political magazines like Current Affairs too. It's because we don't feel like we have any control over our lives or politics. Whereas, like culturally, in the in as consumers, particularly in the entertainment mm-hmm. we can consume, we have some like uh, we feel like we have some control over that. Not just in our choices, but also in our in our interpretations um, of it. That's why um, you can look forward to my essay in the New Republic that liberal arts education was a mistake because <laughs> what's what it's turned into is that people have take this stuff way way too seriously and <laughs> Craig. Yeah. How dare you? How dare you? Okay, this is important. They they dedicated <laughs> my five thousand word diatribe on the Marvel Cinematic Universe and what it means was time well spent, sir. <laughs> they dedicated space in the New York Times, the the paper of record, to um, how Pepe Le Pew, a, a cartoon character from the nineteen fifties, promotes rape culture. <laughs> I mean, Greg, this is a time of reckoning. Okay, <laughs> thanks to Black Lives Matter, thanks to the death of George Floyd. Yeah. We need to ha- we need to hold these men except except okay. when it's our, the politicians that we like and then and then, yes. it, then we get skeptical unless it's Andrew Cuomo <laughs> yeah unless it's Andrew Cuomo he's just yeah. a good leader yeah <laughs> or Joe, or Joe Biden and Tara Reid like you know believe women <laughs> except for the suspicious timing of these ones <laughs> yeah I mean guys there's an election so we yeah. can't really like times up uh, maybe not yeah. <laughs> let's turn the clock maybe. Um. <laughs> Me too? Oh, me? How could you be so selfish? <laughs> yes. <laughs> when there's a damn Cheeto in the White House. <laughs> he must be stopped. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> did we go off on a tangent there? Um, oh, I think we did a politics. Yeah, yeah we, did, we did a politics. Um, uh, from, from voices to white men. <laughs> the kind of voice that people yep. want to hear from. Um, exactly. Yeah. We're, fill- we're filling the void well, I mean, it's- left behind by the late Rush, Rush Limbaugh. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Two idols, I think you'll agree. It's, he was my idol, John. I think you'll agree. You know, we're rush babies. Yeah, <laughs> just like Benny Shapiro, we're rush babies. Yeah. We grew up on his slop, and we we regurgitated daily. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I think that's it for the episode, though. I think we can wrap it up here. Right? Yeah, of course we can. Wrong uh, trivia challenge. <laughs> okay, okay. Stop yelling at me. <laughs> you know, I don't like to be yelled at. <laughs> Greg, I'm excited because this week marks the premiere of Coming to America, the sequel to uh-huh. Coming to America. Okay. Well, I haven't seen I, I haven't seen it yet, but I I, I anticipate some some hints and uh, suggestions of Coming Three America. <laughs> well, Greg, as I've I have seen it now. Okay. And let me tell you, it's just as good as Dumb and Dumber Two and Zoolander Two and Blues Brothers Two Thousand. You know, comedy's like fine wine. You gotta let it age at least three decades before you come out with this. Absolutely. Sequel. And everything's perfect. And there's no minuscule detail too small that you can't call back to from the original. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> All right. Which is why I'm giving you trivia questions about the original Coming to America. All right. All right. I, I've seen this movie a few times. I admire it. I, I it still makes me chortle. Uh, <laughs> yes. 
So uh, even even though it celebrates monarchy, which is something I I'm against, and so like yeah, obviously <laughs> you can't you can't consume any media that uh, has objectionable content in it. So um, yeah. All right, great question. The first yes, who is the comedian who works at McDonald's as the fry cook? Comedian who works at McDowell's at the, as the fried cook. That would be Louis Anderson. That is correct. Okay. Yeah. Fun trivia fact: the the studio mandated they needed a white comedian somewhere in the cast. Okay. <laughs> so they had a list of three, and they chose Louis Anderson because they were actually familiar with this. Can material. I tell you the first name that came to mind? Because there's another famous comedian in another Eddie Murphy star vehicle, and that was the Nutty Professor. Um, he gets back at a comedian who insults him for his weight, and that comedian's played by Dave Chappelle. Uh, so, oh, yeah. interesting. That's that was the first name that came to mind from like he wasn't he he wasn't in a movie in 1988 but anyway yeah all right question two yes what is the name of the barber shop that a majority of the movie takes place in? Uh, well i object to your use of the term majority there's like three scenes <laughs> yes <laughs> uh shoot I, I don't know what it's called I feel like uh, the name Duke is coming to mind let's call it Dukes Bill Duke uh, as a tribute to Bill Duke the great actor and director <sighs> No, sadly not, no. Greg. You you needed to go more pun direction. It's my T sharp. Okay. The mighty sharp <laughs> nice. barbershop. Yeah. Yes. All right. All right. Question the third. All right, please Ooh, don't what? don't ask me that what their names are because I don't remember that either. <laughs> well, that was the third question. Okay, yes. What is the name of the Jewish patron at the barbershop? Uh, let's go with um, Arnie Finkelstein. <laughs> no. Okay. You're close. All right. It's Saul. Saul. Just Saul. Okay. Just Saul. Yes. All right. <laughs> This is beautiful. What is this, Velvet? <laughs> yeah. I was going to go with, again, one of my favorite jokes is from Stefan uh, on Saturday Night Live. Um, you know, you've heard of uh, the black Dracula, Blackula. Well, there's a Jewish Dracula. What's his name? Sidney Applebaum. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question the fourth. Who is the boy getting his hair cut in that first barbershop scene, making his film debut. Oh, well, I was going to say, and what a film and career he's had. That's, of course, <laughs> Academy Award winner and star of the, the execrable, the, 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 the terrible, the lying, uh, the lying media, the folks at Disney, Snow Dogs, that's Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> yes, that's Cuba yeah. Gooding Jr. Yeah, it was actually, again, fun trivia fact, that was actually part of a longer scene. Oh, okay. The scene was going to play out that he couldn't pay and so he was like, ah, go off, and then, you know, going to, like, shave a little thing off at the top of his head, ruining his haircut as he was leaving the store. Nice. So, yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately, they cut that. Okay. So. All right. Yeah. I'll tell you why also, later I'm, I'm mad at the movie Snow Dogs, but um, <laughs> we'll save that for another, another time. All right. <laughs> Question the fifth. Yeah. What are the names of the Duke brothers who first appeared in Trading Places? Oh, the Duke brothers. That's where the name yes. Duke came from. Um, I want to call them Statler and Wardorf, but I know that's not true. <laughs> Those are Muppets. Uh, I want to call them, like, Ellsworth and um, uh, Chad, uh, Chad, Chadwick or something. Yeah, Ellsworth no. and Chadwick. You're, you're on the right track. Right. It's Randolph and Mortimer. And Mortimer. Yeah, again. Oh. Randolph! Randolph! <laughs> I'm still not talking to you. <laughs> they actually, they do get a, like... Referenced in the uh, sequel coming to America. Oh, because they, they go to a yeah, they go to a, a investment firm called Duke and Duke, and they're actually on the walls. So okay, yeah, I was gonna say because those actors got plus some Ralph Bellamy and <laughs> and the other one. I, I'm sorry, I can't remember. They're no longer with us. So no, yeah, yeah it's it's not like they could reprise their roles one more time. Um. Exactly. Sadly. <laughs> All right. So 
question the sticks. You'll remember there's a scene where they're at a nightclub, yes, and they're going through a cavalcade of of of, of fine, upstanding women, <laughs> and unfortunately, just none of them are meeting their standards. No. There's a rapping duo, two twins. Uh-huh. What is the name of the rapping one? Shoot, I can I can picture the two of them, like one is yeah. doing the one is doing the beat and the other one is 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 um, rhyming, and mm. oh, gosh I can't, oh, I yeah um uh <laughs> let me stammer a little bit more, um I'll just say salt and pepper because um, <laughs> excuse me salt and pepper, um, because uh th- I, I, they were the most popular uh, uh hip hop female duo of the time 1988 and yeah I'll just assume it was salt and pepper was playing them playing themselves um no sadly not because right. <laughs> because salt and pepper are not twins all right oh you're right. <laughs> Um, her name is Peaches. Peaches. My name okay. is Peaches, and I'm the best. And all the boys want to feel my breasts. <laughs> and the reason why I called her out is because she not she does not get one but two callbacks in the coming to America sequel. Great. <laughs> yep. So good for them. Yeah. Good for them. Again, brought back the whole team. It's everybody. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Wait, is her is her companion still there or? Yes. Okay, good. All right, they're still together. Um, like tag team in that Geico commercial. <laughs> yes. Um, the problem is, um, like, one of them has put on a little bit more weight, so they don't exactly look identical oh, anymore, geez. but it's fine. It's fine. Okay. No judgments here. No, no judgments. No judgments especially because you and I are twins, and it's the same, it's the same circumstance here. Um. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Fatty, fat, fat. You're right. gross. You're fat. <laughs> this is why I eat so much. <laughs> All right, this is a tricky one. All right. Who is the comedian who actually came up with the name for the fictional country of Zamunda? So it was a comedian, A. Yes. So he was doing a bit about Africa, mm-hmm. and so he just references a, a fake country. So he's the one who actually dubbed the country Zamunda, and they borrowed it for the actual script. So it has to be a notable comedian who's not Eddie Murphy. <laughs> so I'll say uh, his co-star in Eddie Murphy's dick. De- Directorial debut, Harlem Nights, Richard Pryor. It is a Richard Pryor. Excellent work. Yes! Good job. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> On the theme of famous directors, Greg, mm-hmm. what famous director makes a cameo appearance at the McDowell's house party? Ooh, the McDowell's house party. So he can be seen talking to the pastor played by Arsenio Hall. All right. Um, so it's not... I don't think it's George Lucas because he made a cameo in another John Landis Eddie Murphy collaboration, <laughs> and that was Beverly Hills Cop Three. Um, mm-hmm. It's not Steven Spielberg who makes a cameo in the Blues Brothers, so I'm going to say it's Francis Ford Coppola, the triumphant, the 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 third head on that Hydra. Um, it's Francis Ford Coppola. I mean, you're very close yeah. in terms of beard and glasses size, but no, the answer we're looking for was Toby Hooper. Toby Hooper. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another, uh, let's call him a new generation, you know, director. Obviously, didn't have the same level of success that uh, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg had. Um, at least mm-hmm. not financially. Um, cinematically, yes. Like, <laughs> still remembered to this. Day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, number nine. Who was originally considered for the role of King Jaffe Jafar? Well, it's, I can't picture anybody other than James Earl Jones. So who, who would be considered for the ruler of Zamunda, King Jaffe Jafar? Who who has that gravitas? Um, let's go with uh, Sidney Poitier. <laughs> Sidney Poitier. <laughs> I saw him at the buffet the other day. Yes. The, the gourmet buffet. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> they were playing. Are, I, I know they were playing Chopin at the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you are correct. It is one Sidney Poitier. Okay. Who, believe it or not, I looked him up. He's still with us. Of He's course he is. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought he was. I thought he was had, had passed on. No. He's, he's probably just chilling in the Bahamas. He's still kicking. Yes, hopefully he's just um, enjoying the fruits of his, his wonderful labor, um, appearing in. I, I have I have I have mixed feelings about how coming to America had James Earl Jones because he literally never leaves. Like he never sits up the whole movie, oh. <laughs> and they had to film it like separately. So it's like you can tell that they filmed both sides of the conversation on like different days yeah, and different parts of the year. I, yeah, poor James Earl Jones. Like yeah, he's. Unfortunately, he, he, we might not have a whole lot more time with him. Um, yeah. At least based on also how he sounded voicing Darth Vader in Rogue One. I'm like, ooh, it, just, it does not sound. Oh, yeah. And The Lion King, yeah. too, the remake. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. He's so. Just the, let him be. Yeah. Jeez. I, leave him alone. <laughs> yeah. Let him spend these, these last minutes with his family, please. <laughs> All right, great. Yeah. Question the 10th. Okay. Who is the original writer of the script? Who Paramount stole the idea from and had to settle a lawsuit with him for $900,000. Yeah. Oh, they gave an actual dollar figure to it. I I saw a review. His name is mentioned. I think his first name is Frank and his last initial is T. So I'm going to go with like Frank Taltrum or something. Frank Taltrum? That's a, that's a very classy '50s screenwriter yes. name, but no, the archer, the actor, the answer we're looking for is Art Baltwald. Art Baltwald. Okay, <laughs> I knew he had one of those ridiculous, like Dalton Trumbo, like one of those ridiculous, <laughs> exactly, one of those ridiculous old Hollywood writer names. You, you can picture him with a the martini and a cigarette, like see here. Yeah, <laughs> this picture is gonna be big. Although I was looking at his career, his career is not very extensive. He did English dubbing rewrites for Playtime. I think that's the biggest movie he worked on. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. so he's been around a while because that movie came out what twenty years before coming to America. Exactly. I think yeah. they, no, I think this was it was probably one of those story ideas that was just like sitting around forever, and yeah. then you know it became a starring vehicle, and you know he didn't get proper credit. Okay. So. Right. Fair enough. Yeah. Whatever. You got his money. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so he's got nine hundred thousand dollars. Can I have ten thousand dollars of that? <laughs> All right, Greg. That does it. Let's see. You had ten. You had ten questions, uh-huh. and I think you got four right. Okay, <laughs> but I got the tough ones right. You said you prefaced some of them that they were toughies, and I still knew Richard Pryor and Sidney Poitier, and yep. uh, what, what was the other Cuba Gooding Jr. Like I know my black mm-hmm. actors, man. Black actors, man. <laughs> black actors, man. Yeah. Speaking of Dave Chappelle, anyway. <laughs> yes. What's he up to? I d- I don't know. Is he better from COVID? I, I, I hope he's he recovered COVID. from COVID. Yeah, I feel like if he died, we wouldn't have heard about it because I don't know. <laughs> his his personal life is such an enigma. But uh, mm. anyway, living on a farm in Ohio or now living in Texas because I don't know, just weird weird people in the entertainment and and entertainment industry in Silicon Valley just want to go there now, uh, I guess. But. Well, yeah, because, like, again, it gets them one step closer to their Lord of the Flies existence that they want to live. Yes. <laughs> Where it's like, oh, yeah, you'll freeze to death and you'll die. You didn't think enough to pay for your own generator? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'll demonstrate what an ubermensch I am. <laughs> I'm exactly. moving to a, a state that thinks that that's full of them. Or thinks, exactly. or thinks that it's full of them. <laughs> it's easier to get on my all-meat diet here. Because, you know, yeah. the population of cows is so big. Yeah. Ugh, John. Let's let's talk about. Let's move on from discussing things that people have no idea what we're just talking about um, to things that that they might, and that's social media. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we we like everybody else 
need that need that dopamine hit from likes and follows. So give yep. us a like on Facebook, follow on Twitter, um, a follow on Instagram, and a subscribe on your podcast service of choice, whatever you're listening to this on. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Overcast, whatever it may be. Um, give us a follow. Hey, throw us, check us a review. Um, yeah. If, only if you like the show. If you didn't, I apologize, and um, I'll send you some money in the in the mail. Um, <laughs> I know. I, there's no way I can make up for for time lost, but um, I can do I can do it with money. I do. <laughs> I can send you some money that way. Because um, I've I've got it on good authority that the, a writer who settled for a big amount will be sending me ten ten G's soon. So. Uh, <laughs> God, how how do I not have a career in Hollywood with that wonderful callback? But um, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and if you ever have any questions or comments or recommendations you want to shoot our way, you could always do that by emailing us at aspiringsnobs at gmail dot com. Yeah, yeah. We answer questions. We do take recommendations. Um, however, we won't need one for next week. We do announce the movie that we're going to be watching next week, so you can watch along with us and and hopefully get a better idea of what we're talking about, because God knows you and I do a terrible job of explaining things. But, uh, John, what is... Craig, it's art. You don't need to over-explain it, okay? This is what we're talking about. It's not, you know, the plot explained. Yes. <laughs> Ending of My Neighbor Totoro explained. Yes. <laughs> God, I can, I can already picture the thumbnail in my head. <laughs> With the red arrows. Yeah, the stupid red arrow. <laughs> See the mom in bed? She's alive. Yeah. <laughs> Or it, it, you might not have noticed Totoro standing here at the bus stop. <laughs> Granted, he takes up 80% of the frame, but here, look. <laughs> well, speaking of art, I've got, I think we've got one of our uh, greatest artic- artistic achievements, and um, it's about time we visited this director. We've already done two Spike Lee movies, Hayao Miyazaki movies. I think we've done Sp- Steven Spielberg multiple times, but now we're going to do a big one. Um, and we haven't visited him because it's a little divisive. We're, of course, talking about Federico Fellini, and we're going to do his uh, his magnum opus, I suppose, or at least the, mm. the movie that he's most hailed for, and that's Eight and a Half. Um, ah, yes. What makes Fellini so special, Greg? What 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 gives? What is his Italian je ne sais quoi? Je ne sais quoi. Well, John, you uttered a French phrase there, and I think it is this combination of uh, of trying new things, like the the environment of European cinema at the time was was trying new things, and he 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 cut his teeth on Italian neorealism films, but then um, was able to use cinematic language to take these flights of fancies that have um, captured the uh, the world's imagination. Let's see if it captures ours next week. Um, <laughs> yes, um, like most things, I'm not hopeful, but. Uh, <laughs> What, Greg? Can't go in with that attitude. I know you're right. We're gonna go. I in. was excited to like Nomadland. I was disappointed, right. and that makes me smart. Okay, okay, okay. So yes, we'll go in with rock bottom expectations. And there you go. Yes, we can't be. Uh, yes, we can't be anything but pleasantly surprised. There you go. Well, with that in mind, thank you everybody for listening. And until next time. Uh, keep aspiring, gazpacho. It's <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, spaghetti. <Yeah. laughs> Tortellini. <laughs> Costa Concordia. <laughs> <laughs>